Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Well, hello, Celebrate. It is great to be together. We have just finished an amazing series called Growing Your Faith, Walking Through the Book of James. I'll tell you, I've always loved the book of James, but man, it came alive even that much more for me. I don't know about the rest of you, but it had a deep impact on my life. I hope it did for you as well. Now, next weekend, Pastor Keith is going to lead us in a new series, and it's called The Greatness of God, looking at Psalm 23. Well, today, Pastor Keith has allowed me, and I'm incredibly humbled to open God's Word with you. If you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Now, while you're doing that, every one of us has maybe a piece of trivia. That's kind of a fun trivia fact that probably most people don't know about us. Well, I'm going to share one of those, that of my trivia facts with you today. I have met one of the presidents of the United States. How's that for a trivia? Is that an okay one? Kind of thing. Now, I had a chance to meet President Ronald Reagan. Now, any of you who are under 30 years old, you are going, who? And thank you for making me feel that old. But in 1986, President Ronald Reagan came to Sioux Falls, actually. And he spoke at the Sioux Falls Arena, and, and the tickets had already been sold out. I didn't know if I could go, but then at last minute, I had a chance to, but I couldn't get inside. So I went to the outside, hoping that I'd let's be able to see him kind of thing. Well, sure enough, motorcade pulls up, he comes out, and he starts shaking hands. And he's coming down the line where I'm at, and I'm a few people back, okay? But people are shaking, he's shaking hands, and he comes right in front, is shaking hands, I reach over the top, and I touch his hand like that. Bam! I know it changed his life. Um, but I met Ronald Reagan. Or did I really? I mean, if we can be honest about it, I knew about President Reagan. I, I had read about him. I had actually seen him, obviously, on television, different things like that. Um, I actually touched him. But the reality is, I didn't meet him. I say that because I think that's true with a lot of people in the church today and in the world. They have heard of Jesus. They've known about Jesus. They've read about Jesus. They've seen Jesus do things in the lives of other people. They might have even been touched a little bit by Jesus themselves, but they've never met him. And so we want to talk today about what does it mean to really meet Jesus? Because the vision of Celebrate is helping people meet Jesus. Because here's what we believe, that when you really meet Jesus, everything changes. Would you agree with me on that? Everything changes. So what happens when you really meet Jesus? How will you know if someone has met him? Well, today we're going to read a story of someone who did meet Jesus, and that will give us the impact and the evidence of what that means. It's a story of a wee little man, Luke 19, starting in verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. 
Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Great story. Let's understand a little bit of the history and story of it. Now, we start off right away in verse 1 and verse 2. Here's what it said. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Let's get a little history. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In fact, a few verses later in the same chapter, you'll see that he enters Jerusalem where they proclaim him as the King Hosannas and they do palm branches in front of him. We recognize that as Palm Sunday. And within a few days, he'll be crucified. So literally, Jesus is in the last days of his life. On the way to Jerusalem, he stops at a town called Jericho. Now, that name might be familiar for people because in the Old Testament, there was the city of Jericho that when the Israelites came into the Promised Land, the first city they conquered was Jericho. And they conquered it because they marched around the city seven times, and what happened to the walls? They came a-tumbling down, absolutely. Well, just outside that city, a new Jerusalem was built. And it actually became kind of a trade center and a very rich center. Well, there was a man in that town named Zacchaeus. From what we've read, what do we know about Zacchaeus? He was wealthy. He was wealthy. What else about him? Short. He was short, absolutely. And what was his occupation? Chief tax, tax collector. collector. Not just a tax collector, chief. The, the chief. chief tax collector. Okay, absolutely. Now, that job meant that he was popular with everybody. No, no. I mean, let's be honest. There's probably none of you right now that have invited an IRS agent to your house for Christmas. Let's just be honest about it, okay? But in that day, even more so, he was hated. Why? Because the Romans had come in, taken the land over, so they're the conquerors of the land, and now they're imposing a tax on the people, obviously, to profit off of that conquest. But what they do, instead of having Romans do it, they have their own Jewish people do it. Zacchaeus was one of those people. So not only was he a cheater, he was a traitor. That's a double hate in that way. And the problem is, he'd become very wealthy. How? because when he collected the taxes, he collected more than was actually requested, and he profited and came it off the top. So Zacchaeus was very wealthy, but he was also very lonely. Everyone knew him, and everyone hated him. He was a religious outcast. Obviously, he didn't go to church. In fact, think about this. What's the worst thing you could think of that somebody would make money on? That would be just detesting you. Would be a a drug lord? Would it be a, someone who sold children to sex slavery? Would it be someone who sold illegal weapons? That's Zacchaeus in that day, okay, to give you an idea. But something was missing for Zacchaeus. Maybe some of you today are realizing something's missing for you. So Zacchaeus runs to a tree ahead of him to get a glimpse of this man named Jesus. Now in the Mideast, to have any man run and climb up a tree would be undignified, but especially a wealthy 
prominent man? I mean, think about this. Who would it have to be for Mark Cuban, okay, of Shark Tank, to run up and climb up on a tree to get a glimpse of him? Can you imagine that happening? No, not at all. But Zacchaeus didn't care about his reputation. He didn't care if he literally potentially exposed himself <laughs> to everybody below because he had a need and he wanted to see Jesus. There was something he was looking for in that way. See, you know what I found? That when you're willing to exhaust and even expose yourself, you'll experience Jesus. You will. Now, before we jump into what happens when you meet Jesus, I want us to look at three things that will happen that when you, uh, that Jesus actually will do when you meet him. These are three things Jesus will do, okay? Here's the first thing. Jesus will see you. He'll see you. Okay, it's in verses three through five. Here's what it says. He, being Zacchaeus, tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. Jesus will see you. You know, we, uh, we've always lived in a time where people are isolated, sometimes feel lonely, but especially in this COVID season, can we agree? That's more than that than ever. You know, no one invited Zacchaeus to their home. No one put him on their Christmas list. No one ever said, hey, Zacchaeus, what are you doing Friday night? Want to hang out? No. You know, what I find is this, when people are lonely and isolated, there's kind of two extremes sometimes that happen. One is they want to be seen. They, they, they want everybody to see him. Okay, all right. we have a 22-month-old grandson that's in the stage of, of, Papa, Papa, watch me. Papa, look at me. Papa, you know that when you have kids? They, they want you to see everything. They want you to notice everything about them. I sometimes look at what people post on social media, what they post on Facebook, and what are they saying? See me. See me. They want to be seen because they feel isolated. They feel like they're lonely. and They want, they want to be seen. They want to be noticed by that. The, the other extreme, though, I see is that sometimes people will hide. When they feel lonely, I say they hide. That's especially maybe if they feel shame on anything as well. Maybe some of you who've either been through or maybe going through an addiction, you know what it means to hide in that way. People hide themselves in a lot of different ways. They can hide themselves in a tree, okay? But they can hide themselves in their work, right? They hide themselves in their relationships. Some hide themselves behind COVID. I find that. Do you want to see, have Jesus see you? Jesus does see you. Even if you're hiding, he sees you. In fact, here's what it says in Jeremiah 23. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? This is God saying this. I love this. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and the earth, says the Lord? Here's the reality. Jesus sees you. He sees you right now, exactly where you are. Even though you might be very lonely, very isolated, he sees you. Here's the second thing, though, that Jesus will do when you meet him. He will call you by your name. We read this in verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. That's important. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Can we agree? It's, it's huge to have your name called. If you remember growing up as a kid on the playground, they're picking sides to play a game. And what do you want to hear? You want to hear your name. 
And the longer you don't hear your name, what happens inside you? Oh, man, please, please. And then you don't want to be the last one. That's for sure. You want to hear your name. Or let's say that you're in a, you walk into a, a room and somebody says, hey, Caleb, hey, Caleb's here. Or they say your name. What is that? It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Versus if you walk in a room and nobody says your name because nobody even recognizes that you're there. Man, Jesus calls you by name. Think about this. Why did Jesus go through Jericho? I mean, where's he headed to? Where's his goal? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's his goal. Why did he go through Jericho? Could it be to meet Zacchaeus? Do you think that potentially people in the area knew who Zacchaeus was? Yeah, because he was the chief tax collector. Everybody knew his name. Could it be that Jesus went through Jericho just to meet this little guy in this little tree? Could that be the case? I think so. See, here's the reality. Wherever you're at right now, whatever's going on in your life, whatever situation you're in, Jesus is calling your name. He does. He knows where you're at. He sees you, but he calls you by name. I love how it says this in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Jesus calls us by name. And here's the third thing that Jesus will do. Jesus will come into your home. Jesus will come into your home. We read this in verse 5. Quick, come down. This is Jesus talking to Zacchaeus. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. You ever find it interesting? Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'll meet you at the synagogue. No, he didn't. He said, I want to go where? To your home. He said, he didn't tell him how, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to repent. He didn't say that. He didn't make a picket sign and hold it up. He didn't go on social media and blast Zacchaeus for what a rotten guy he was. He wanted to come to his home. I wonder how many Jews had ever done that before, gone to Zacchaeus' home. Huh, I wonder how many religious leaders ever had. <laughs> that number's zero. Yet Jesus does. In fact, in the book of Revelation, he says this, here I am, I stand at the door and what? Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with him, and he with me. You know what I fear? I think there's a lot of people that would rather meet Jesus at church than have him come to their home. That's good. Because you know what? At church we say, hey, Jesus, great to be with you. See you again next Sunday. Man, have a great week, buddy. See you then. Wow. Because if Jesus came to our house, he might see what's on my computer. He might see what's on my iPhone. He might see and hear the things that I say in the tone I say it. He might see what I'm really spending money on. And the reality is this. We think that we want to hurry up and clean the house up before Jesus comes in. Jesus says, no, I want to come to your house. I want to clean it up. Here's the reality. See, when you meet Jesus, Jesus will see you. He'll call you by name and he'll come to your house. Let's talk for a moment. What things go through your mind right now when we talk what we've done so far? To, to me, just what pops up in my head is even just, just the greatness of God and, and the love and the mercy of God. Like you said, the, the first thing that Jesus says, you know, I want to I meet you. I want to spend time with you in your place. Um, 
in knowing that Jesus wants that for each and every one of us, that he wants to meet us where we're at. He loves us so much that he'll meet us where we're at, but he loves us so much that he'll make sure we don't stay there. And I see that with Zacchaeus. Jesus loved him so much that he wanted to meet him where he's at in his home, but he loved him so much that I want to help you and clean, you know what I mean, and get you through this. And that, I mean, that just paints a beautiful picture of who he is because of his love and his grace for us. It's amazing to sit back and think that our God, there's no limits. There's no valley too low. There's no mountain too high that he won't go out and seek you. Mm -hmm. He won't receive you where you're at, meet you where you're at, but also impact you nope. in a God way. Nope. One of my favorite verses from a song is, I don't need my name in lights. I'm famous in my father's eyes. Make no mistake, he knows my name. And that's something, as an athlete, you know, it's really easy to focus on what you want and having your name out there. Um, but at the end of the day, we're here to serve God and to have his name be known through our works, not our name be known for our works. It's truly, truly God working through us. Well, we've been talking about this. We've been looking at this is what Jesus will do when we meet him. Now let's turn around. What will happen to you? when you truly meet Jesus. And I emphasize the word truly because again, not hearing about him, not reading about him, not knowing some things about him, none of that. But when you truly meet him. And we say, well, how can you judge that? Well, it's called fruit. So for example, how do you know if a tree is an apple tree? There's apple on it. Duh, there's apples on it, okay? Exactly. There are four fruit we're gonna see out of the life of Zacchaeus that are evidence of someone who's truly met Jesus. And as we walk through these, I'm going to encourage for all of us, we get personal and say, wow, where am I at with that? Really? Have I truly met him according to that? Okay, here's the first one. When you truly meet Jesus, you will do what Jesus says. You'll do what Jesus says. We see it in verse 6. Because Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I have to go to your house. Here's how it says it. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house. Quickly came down. Quickly means immediate obedience. Here's a phrase that I think is, has been challenging for me. The longer it takes me to obey God is the distance I am from God. So let me say it again. The longer it takes me to obey God or obey his word, that's the distance I am from God. Because how long did it take him to come down from the tree? Quickly. Immediate obedience. So, for example, a person says, I, I, I know I've heard about tithing and giving 10%, but, but you know, it just isn't our budget right now. And you know, here's the reality. You haven't truly met Jesus. You, ha you haven't. Because there's immediate obedience to it. Or a person might say, now, I, I, know we should, I, know I, I know I should read the Bible. I, I, I know that. I know, you know Jesus talks about that. I, I know that. Man, it just, it just, it's hard for me. I just haven't been able to get into it kind of thing. I, get it. I love you. It just means you, you haven't truly met Jesus yet. That's what it just means. Sometimes uh, couples that are looking getting married, but they're living together. And I, I know what God's word says about Sex for marriage. I know what God says about living together. I know, I know but we're, we're, we're planning on getting married. And I love you. You haven't met Jesus yet. Truly. Because when you truly meet Jesus, you will do what he says. 
Delayed obedience is disobedience. Those of you who have children understand that. If you told your child to do something and they did it a week later, is that obedience? No, it's disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Here's how Jesus said it himself. John 14, he says this, if you love me, you'll obey me. Now, I've been very open the fact that for 16 years I had an addiction, pornography addiction, okay? Uh, it's been a number of years ago, but in that span, here's the reality. I, I knew about Jesus, and I could even say that I thought I loved him, but I had never surrendered, totally surrendered to Jesus. Here's what's crazy. I was on staff at a church, and that area was still not obedience to me. I wasn't obeying it to my life. I can say, well, I'm struggling with some things. I knew what the right thing was to do. And I continued to choose it. And I didn't seek help for it to get out of it. It was delayed obedience. That was, I, I hadn't met Jesus yet. See, the reality is this. When you meet Jesus, everything changes. <laughs> You'll obey him and do what he says. That's how you know you met Jesus because everything will change. Here's the second thing that will happen when you truly meet Jesus, you will have great excitement and joy. You'll have great excitement and joy. Here's what it said in verse 6. Zacchaeus climbed down and took Jesus to his house with what? Great excitement and what? Joy. Joy. Man, you can you almost picture, can't you? Bam, he's on the ground. It must have been a little guy for him to be that way. And he's, wow, yeah, kind of fired up kind of thing. Now, I don't know what his life was before that. I can't see Zacchaeus being isolated for all that and hated by everybody, having great excitement and joy. But here he does. You know, if I said, what are the things that give you great excitement and joy? You know, it would be various different people. For me, uh, kissing my wife. Okay, that's one. Great excitement, great joy, absolutely. Being with my children, grandchildren, great excitement, great joy. You know, for other people, it might be different things. For some people, Hunting, great excitement, great joy, golf, okay. In fact, it might be a relationship. You maybe even heard people say this. You look at them and go, wow, why are you so happy today? I, what, met someone. Have you heard of that? That's what they say. Yeah, I've met, you met somebody, didn't you? Yeah, I, I met somebody, yep. That gives them great excitement, great joy. How about opening God's word and worshiping him? Does that give you great excitement and great joy. Here's what it says in Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I rejoiced with those who said to me, great excitement and great joy. Was that you today when you got up and had a chance to open the Bible, had a chance to be with other people in worship? You know, when you truly meet Jesus, you'll have excitement and joy no matter what your circumstances are. Because had any of Zacchaeus' circumstances changed? None. But he met Jesus. See, what I find is this. People live under circumstances all the time, and that determines if they have excitement or joy. How are things going? Oh, things are going great. Ah, oh, things aren't going great. Wait, 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 wait. Did Jesus change? When you meet Jesus, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Here's what Philippians 4 says. May you always be joyful. Always be joyful in your union with the Lord. Not in your circumstances, in your union with the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. He repeats himself. In fact, repeat this after me, okay? 
Circumstances don't give you joy. Christ does. Make sense? Mm -hmm. See, when you truly meet Jesus, he gives you joy and excitement. Not your circumstances. It doesn't matter what circumstances are. I have a dear person that just passed away this past month through cancer. Hard, hard. But you know what? Every time I talk to this person, there was great excitement, great joy. Because that was found in Christ, not in the circumstances. Question. When people see you and I at work, at school, do they see someone who has great excitement and great joy because they've truly met Jesus, you've met Jesus? Do they see that? Do we have great excitement and joy when we have the chance to come together and worship together in church when you open up God's word? See, if you've really met Jesus, <laughs> everything changes. You'll have great excitement and great joy. Let's talk about those two things. What's going through your mind on those two thoughts? You can choose to wake up in the morning and and be grumpy, you didn't get enough sleep, oh, I gotta go to my job, don't like my job, my boss is a jerk, whatever. Like, you can choose all those things. Or you can make the mental decision, I'm alive, I woke up today, Jesus isn't done in my life, now let's go out and do that, you know? Like, that's the way that I look at, at my days. Like, it kinda, <laughs> it might even bug Morgan a little bit, because like, I wake up and I'm like, woo, let's go, and she is not a morning person, <laughs> you know? And she wouldn't mind me telling you that, but like, like, it's just one of those things, like, I'm excited because my day has started, and I'm in, I, I start my day here, right here. I wanna see what the Lord has for me today at the beginning of my day, rather than at, when I go home at work and I'm tired, I'm mentally drained. I don't wanna, because good chances, whatever I'm gonna read in that, that morning is gonna help me through my day. Whereas if I end my day, come here, wow, I wish I would've known that this morning, <laughs> you know? So like just waking up with that joy sets the tone for the rest of your day. I think the reality is the majority of us delay our obedience on a lot of different things. I mean, I, it happens and it's about accepting, identifying, correcting and moving forward. And when, when you said that, I was like, oh, I feel like, I feel like that's something we've all struggled with. And when we get to that point where we are having this one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus and we're, we feel like we're all in, but we're truly not in, I, I mean, I feel like that should be a breaking point, but people get stuck right there. That's where they get stuck. And they, okay, I'm going to church. Okay, I'm, I'm, I've corrected this habit or this behavior and now I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but they don't take that leap from where they are to truly be obedient. We don't, we don't totally surrender because we wanna have control. And I remember you, you using this analogy once, is, I'll use this pen. Okay, God, I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna give you this. Oh, I'm gonna give you this, but this one, I can't. I can't let go. And we're clinging on because we still want to control. But if we know if we let go, we have no control, but we know who's in control. And then when we come to that point of leap of faith, God, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. Whatever it may be, when we let go, 
you you have this freedom in that, but then God starts working in that. Because we want God to be in complete control because if he's in control, regardless of what the outcome or my situation, my circumstance, I know that I'm in good hands. So total surrender comes when we completely let go. When I think a lot too, there's times where I, I mean, you can look at it the opposite side, right? When you sit back and say, well, what's the worst thing that could come from it, right? It's like even the idea like, okay, I'm right here. If you decide to let go and totally surrender, take that leap of faith, what could truly be the worst outcome of it, right? And I mean, you could say like, oh, I could die. Is that really that bad of an outcome? And I, I don't say it like jokingly, but people ask me all the time, well, realistically, once you're dead, you probably don't care anymore in terms of where you're at, unless you don't know before where you're going. But if you know where you're going, because you've already totally surrendered, at that point in time, what truly is the worst thing that can happen, you know? See, when you truly meet Jesus, everything changes. It changes because of who Jesus is, okay? Not read about him, not hear about him, read, you know, hear about from other people, when you truly meet him. So we talk about the fact that when you meet him, okay, you'll obey and do what he says, immediate obedience. And then we said, great excitement, joy. Here's the third thing that you will do. You will give, you'll give. Here we go, verse eight. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Yeah, wow. You know, I think one of the struggles that I find that people have is a difference between two words and they chase the wrong word. They chase passion. They chase passion. Uh, I see this especially with a lot of young people. Now they, 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 they say, man, I wanna, I, I'm trying to find what my passion is and I wanna chase my passion. I wanna do something that I'm passionate about. And, and then, man, I'm, I'm excited. I wanna marry this person. I'm passionate about that person, okay? Now that's okay, but what happens to passion? Goes. It fades and it changes because passion is an emotion. They chase the wrong thing. Instead of chasing passion, they should chase priorities. Priorities. Now, what I mean by that is that, in fact, is come back to passion. That <laughs> you know, and passion's needed. Okay, in a marriage, you need passion in a marriage. And I went to a marriage conference one time, and I remember the, one of the speakers saying for the men, he said, "Men, here's some ways to you know keep passion in your marriage." And he lists off about 15 different things for the husbands to do, and they were things like text your wife or call her during the day. Leave a note that says that you love her. You know, clean up, do dishes. I mean, just variety of little things all throughout the day that show that that helps create passion. Then he turned to the women. He said, "Wives, two things: bring food, come naked." <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> Drink passion, kind of thing. But the reality is, is we chase the wrong. That we chase passion. We should be chasing priorities. See, you determine your priorities, and they become your passion. So let me give you an example, okay? My wife, Cindy, is not my passion. You go, whoa, 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 what's that about? No, she's not, she's not my passion. She's my priority. God is first, she's right there. Because she's my priority, I'm passionate about her. Does that make sense? Okay, um, reading the Bible, getting up early in the morning, reading the Bible. I'll be honest, I'm not passionate about that, getting up early, reading it, but it's my priority. And because it's my priority, I'm passionate about it. 
working out. I'm not passionate about working out. I'd rather have a flyboy. Don't it? My word. But because it's a priority of mine, guess what? I'm passionate about it. Make sense? Mm -hmm. See, priorities come first. Passions come next. Here's a question, though. Is giving a priority to God? Well, think about the verse. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave. gave. Giving is a priority to God. See, the reality is this, if that's the case, when you meet Jesus, God's priorities become our passion. Does that make sense? God's priority become our passionate. You will want to give out of your time and your resources. Interesting, if you know what he says, Jesus says right after that in verse 9. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself, that's a key word, shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Salvation is not based on belief. You might go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it was. Ah, Jesus said even the demons believe. You can believe and not have met Jesus. Okay? The demons believe. They had not met Jesus and submitted themselves to it, kind of thing. It says this. He says, nowhere in here does it say that Zacchaeus prayed a sinner's prayer. He showed himself action. He showed himself by his passion was because of God's priority. God's priorities give. And immediately, what was his response? I give. How much? Half? Think about that. Half of everything. And for those, if I've cheated anybody, how much in return? Four, Four times. Four times as much. See, we live in a world right now where we live by intent and words, not by actions. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking. This is Jesus, and he's talking about the final judgment. In Matthew 25, he says this, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So now it's final judgment. Heaven, hell. And if you remember it, he's going to say to those people, he says, the people in heaven, he says, come, you've inherited. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison, you visited me. It was what they did, not what they said. It wasn't their profession of faith. It was their acts of faith. Make sense? What they gave. Then the other half comes and says, wait, 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 wait. When did we see you that? He said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. He says, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. In other words, he's saying this, judgment, according to what Jesus says, is going to be based on was his priorities our passion. His priorities to give, do we give of our resources and time? And here's the reality, if we don't give of our resources and time, you haven't met Jesus. Because when you've met Jesus, you want to give of time, effort. You want to serve. You want to be able to do that. Here's the last thing, the fourth thing that will happen. When you truly meet Jesus, the mission of Jesus will become your mission. The mission of Jesus will become your mission. Here's how he says in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. I'm afraid too many times the people in the church are so busy telling people what they're doing wrong, that they themselves don't do what's right. You know, just a chapter earlier in Luke, Luke 18, Jesus is talking and he's giving a story and he illustrates this. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed. He talked about prayer. And this is what the way the Pharisee, the religious man, was praying. 
God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. And he lists now sinners. Think about this. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even, now he's going to get to the worst of the worst, this tax collector. Think about that. I mean, the worst of the worst sinner, he labels them separate, even this tax collector. Jesus' mission was to seek and save who? The lost. The lost. I've never met anybody whose life has been changed because someone told them they were a sinner, who somebody blasted them on social media, who picketed them at an event. I've never met him. Jesus' mind was always on his mission. Where was he headed to ultimately? What city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He was going to die. He was going to the cross to save mankind. And to be honest, many of us would have said, Jesus, come on, we, we got to get, we're on our way to Jerusalem. We don't have time to stop at Jericho. We don't have time for this. You, you're saving the world. Come on, let's stay focused on, on what's important. What was important to Jesus? Seeking and saving the one, the one, the wee little man in the wee little tree called Zacchaeus. It was about the one. What, what do you think changed Zacchaeus? What was it the sermon Jesus gave? Does it say Jesus gave a sermon? Mm -hmm. It was his love. His love and acceptance of Zacchaeus changed him. We're called to help people meet Jesus. That means that seeking and saving the lost is 24-7. That's why we say the church never closed. Who's the church? Yeah. We are. Mm -hmm. We're the church in the world. And actually, one of the things that you're going to hear us, anytime that we have a chance to talk with you for any length of time, we're going to ask you a question. Who are you discipling right now? We're going to start asking you that. Who are you discipling right now? Who are you building a relationship with that to help them meet Jesus? In fact, would you and I be willing to meet and reach the next Zacchaeus, who's probably the person that we oppose and hate the most? Think about that. Or a society hates the most? <laughs> In a political year, what if you're of one party and Zacchaeus is a candidate for the other party? And God says, I love them. I created them. They're special in my sight. You don't have a right to judge them. You go love them. Wow. How would that be? You know, in Acts we read, Ananias, Saul. And Ananias is told by God, go anoint him. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's killing us. He's killing us. God says, mm -mm, he's mine. I create him. You go. How far would we go to reach the next Zacchaeus? That we would befriend them? We would support them? We would come alongside them? Protect them? Would we do it? You know, it's interesting, David Platt, Pastor Keith's been talking about a book. I've read the book. Well, you, that's, that, that was hard in my heart. It's breaking my heart, it still is. Because it's asking the question, what am I really doing really to reach the lost, really, kind of thing. And he's right, something has to change. Something has to change. Friends, we cannot go on thinking that coming to church, singing a couple songs, hearing a message and going home and coming back next week is following Jesus. It's not. It's not at all. If it's not 24-7, us seeking out the next Zacchaeus, seeing them, calling them by name, coming to their home, inviting them to our home and build a relationship. What would it be for us to have a broken heart, truly meet Jesus to have a broken heart, even collectively? Think about this. Wells 
in Liberia. We've been supporting that, obviously. Right now, we have 18 wells that we've been, as a church, have been part of digging new wells in Liberia. Each well, on an average, between 1,000 and 2,000 people that now have clean water for not only health, obviously against disease, obviously against virus, but when they gather, then the well, they have the ability to build churches there, okay? So, so far right now, 18 wells means we've connected and helped 25,000 people. What if collectively we met Jesus and with excitement and joy, we gave, we gave generously to reach the lost. What if we did 100 wells and reached a quarter of a million people? Why not? You know, a couple weekends ago, we said that sponsoring children through World Hope in Liberia was important to get them out of sex, sex uh, tracking, trafficking, to be able to get them education, to get them hope. Right now, there's 72 that have been sponsored. Yay. What if we did 700? What if we did 700? What would that be like? You know, as a church, we've been giving and wanting to multiply. And so we've been doing church plants. And now we have a whole group of, of home churches that are starting as well. We have 33 right now, church plan, home churches. Caleb, you're part of one in Parker. Very excited about that. We're part of that. And it's impacting people. But what if you're the one who's called to lead a home church? out of your comfort zone to reach the Zacchaeus that lives right next door to you. Or we collectively gave and we had a hundred churches, church plants. See, that's what it's about. See, when Jesus asks us to die to ourselves, just what you said, that's what it is, but to live for his priorities, that our passions become him. Now, can I just make this quick note before we talk more and that is this, when you do that, don't expect the others around you to applaud you. Did you catch what happened in the story? Did you catch it? It's in verse 7. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. There's a lot of religious people that have never met Jesus. And when you go out and meet a Zacchaeus, don't expect everybody who's religious to support you in that. Okay? See, not everybody in, in life has a, that their, their life has changed overnight. We know that. But there's a progression of change. There's, okay, God, what, what, what else do you see in me? What else do I need to address? There's always a growing in this area. I'm growing in more joy and excitement. I'm growing in giving. I'm, gro I'm, I'm moving those directions. And my thought is this. What if the answer to when people talk to us about things, our answer was, um, I met somebody. So, for example, somebody says, man, what, what's going on with you? you? You don't go out and drink with us and party with us and you know, go on Friday nights where we used to. Why, why, don't you do, why don't you drink anymore? Um, I met somebody. I met Jesus. Man, you know, what is it about you? You have such, you're, you're smiling all the time, and yet I know what's going on in your life. You just lost your job. How can you be smiling? Um, I, <laughs> I met somebody. I met Jesus. You know, man, you guys, are, you guys are living together. You're not living together. Aren't you getting married? Oh, yeah, no, we're getting married. Well, why'd you move out? Um, I met somebody, Jesus, and I want to do what he says is right in my life. What would that be if we could be that people? We truly meet Jesus and people see that. Before we close off, let's process. Last couple things we talked about. Giving and his mission becomes our mission. What's going through your mind? A couple of verses pop into my head, but you know, one of them being the, from the abundance of my heart or my mouth will speak. If I really, if I really come to a place where I've met Jesus, that will come and show. You know, not on the weekends, but every day of my life. You know, we, we have a saying with 
you know, with our worship team, we say, well, we come to do on the weekends, it's just a reflection of our relationship with God throughout the week. If I've met Jesus, that will show, that, that will come out, that's what I speak of, that's who I am. And then that's what comes to my mind is challenging myself, and that is, am, am I doing that? I mean, what's in my heart, is that what's coming out? You know what I mean? When people, when I'm talking with people or my family, whatever it may be, what's coming out of my heart? Because that's what I've met. Because like you said, when, when you met someone, you want to talk about it all the time and, you know, and this and that. And um, if I truly met Jesus, I want to talk about him all the time. I want to live it out. Something you said earlier keeps playing over in my head and um, actions speak louder than words. Um, but his mission is, is becomes your mission and, you know, you're, it's a reflection and it, it really pulls me back to when I was younger and my auntie would be coaching us children and developing us and teaching us um, when we were doing things wrong. And she never really got harsh with us, but she, she always used the phrase, actions speak louder than words. You know what you're supposed to be doing. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know where you're supposed to be right now. She, smart woman, very smart woman. Um, and that really, it kind of hit a nerve with me today because I think about where our, where our world is, where our country is with a lot of different things. And it, it, it's obvious that people aren't taking action and they're not following through with what they know they're supposed to be doing. They know, they, they know, and their hearts know, and they just continue to do whatever they want to do for whatever reason. And so I, I feel like it's more important than ever that we come together and we allow our actions to be so bold and vibrant and out there, even if they're small things, I feel like the small things are gonna build up, they're gonna be bigger and better, and it's going to hopefully cause a tidal wave of changes, person by person by person. I think you just hit it on the head. You know, you said Jesus' love can change people, mm -hmm. and not everyone is willing to see that or come to church or open up the Bible, and so it's truly how our love, Jesus' love through us can change those around us. Absolutely. If God's church had truly met Jesus and the evidence of that, just so you talk about that actions speak louder than words, were these four things, would that change culture? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely would. And, well, and you're right, true. it's one by one because here's the reality, there are millions of Zacchaeuses out there. Billions of Zacchaeuses out there. Sometimes people say, Man, I'd like to see a miracle. Can I, can I encourage you? You can. Look in the mirror. Yeah. You're the miracle for the Zacchaeus. Exactly. You're the miracle. Yeah. If, if we have truly met Jesus and these things are there and it's the things we've talked about that, man, we obey. We obey what he says. Excitement and joy. We give. And his mission becomes our mission. Man, a living. You know what happens then? One by one, we see people. We call them by name. We build a relationship in their home, our home, and they meet the person that changed our life. And that's how we change it, one person at a time. Absolutely. Well, I encourage this week, 
maybe continue to walk through this story and say, God, would you talk to me about this? How am I a Zacchaeus? How do I need to be you in these? If we do that, we will see God work in ways that we've only dreamed about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is alive to us. Thank you that this is not a story that, of something that happened 2,000 years ago. God, this is us. This is our story. God, we're Zacchaeus. God, forgive me for the times that I've hid from you. God, for the things that I've done. And yet, God, crazy as it is that you see me, I can never hide from you. You always see me. You call me my name. God, you want to come into our home. You want to, you want to have a relationship. And then, God, in that relationship, you change everything. So, God, I pray for, for every person that's listening that, God, is there in any area we have not surrendered? God, given it up that we're holding on to, just as the illustration that Jonathan had, that we're still holding on to something, that we'd let it go. we just let it go and give you everything. God, we'd obey you immediately on everything. God, that we would have great excitement, great joy as we come into every situation, especially when we get a chance to come into your word, as we come into worship. God, that we'd have an understanding of, of what it means to give and give generously of our time, of our resources, that God, your priorities would become our passion, your mission would become our mission. And God, in doing so, that we would see thousands and tens of thousands of others meet Jesus as well, and their lives change forever. We love you. We thank you for all you do. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.